The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Oh, Ty was a warrior. The Hawks are going to Omaha. Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Arkansas baseball goes for a series sweep of Northwestern State and their, hopefully, seventh win in a row. Uh, but right now it's raining. It's raining, and it's not its not pouring. I'd say it's not raining as much as it did last night for the brief rain delay uh, that concluded the 19-2 win with still two outs to go in the Northwestern State ninth inning. It was quite the scene uh, seeing it last night because, I mean, the ball game's over by that point. It had been over for about five innings. If you had a run rule, 10-run rule yesterday, you wouldn't have even had to play the 8th and ninth. but you don't do that for a midweek series. Uh, so there we are, 19-2 to in the ninth inning. It isn't raining anywhere else in Fayetteville or in northwest Arkansas except right over Baum Stadium. And it was coming down pretty hard to the point where the umpires felt forced Uh, to get everybody off the field, we're thinking, oh, goodness, we're going to have to sit here for another 30 minutes and finally let us, let you know, finally at that point, they'll figure out we can't play anymore and and they'll 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 bang it with still two hours to go. But I really have to appreciate Dave Van Horn and Bobby Barbier, the head coach of Northwestern State. They came together and the umpires said, "Well, you can if you deem the the field unplayable. If both coaches look at the field and say it's unplayable, then we don't have to play these last two outs." So they just they just pull the tarp back from behind home plate. Dave looks at the dirt, steps on it a couple of times, points to coach Barbier. He does the same thing. Ball game. Two-minute rain delay. That was it. It's the greatest rain delay I've ever seen in the history of rain delays. And thank goodness they didn't force us to stick around for another 30 minutes because with a 17-run lead, you almost feel like Northwestern State could have just put the white flag out of the dugout and called it a day. It's one thing to want to play when it's a competitive ball game, but when you're getting shellacked like Northwestern State was yesterday, you can kind of understand the coaching mindset of saying, let's just, let's just end it. Let's just end the beating. And for Dave Van Horn, there's that iconic gift that Razorback baseball yes. always puts out. When it's clearly raining, he sticks his head out. He's like, it's not even raining. And the mindset of him wanting to play that game versus last night is vastly different. And I completely understand. I mean, you're being the the tar out of a team compared to wanting to finish a game. That was the Missouri State series, correct? Yeah, was that, was the the reg- that was the regional two years ago. Yeah. When it, that was the 3 o'clock morning game. That's what I thought. So. But it's not even raining. Oh, Dave, it's actually pouring right now. <laughs> and it can be difficult to continue playing. It's like the adrenaline. Like when you're locked into something and it, it's a competitive ball game, your kind of adrenaline takes over. And I guess he just didn't feel the rain that was uh, the torrential downpour. It, I, it was bad. I, I don't think it was like just awful, but it was... It was clearly raining. Like if, if you have a pulse, you could you could feel that it was raining that day or that night. Well, it, again, it rained briefly last night, and as soon as I talk about how much it's raining now, it's it slows. We're going to have no problem getting the game in. It's just a matter of how many wet dogs will be here, uh, you know, because it's bark in the park take two. There, I don't know how many 
canines there were at the game last night, but there really weren't many because there was the threat of rain. And you don't want to mix dogs and wet baseball parks together. It's got to be a nice dry day for this promotion to really work out. It's like the idea, look, you can't bring cats out to the ballpark when it's raining because cats hate, hate rain. They hate water unless they're drinking it. Uh, dogs, they probably love playing in it, but, man, nothing's worse than a smelly, wet dog. Did Christian Franklin survive yesterday? I know he's allergic to dog. Dogs. Well, he didn't play until the last couple of innings. He didn't start the game. Curtis Washington Jr. started in his place in left field. So I'm sure I think Christian was kept away from the dogs to the point where he's he was he was okay. Because you think about it, if it was windy yesterday, that wind will carry kind of their hair and and the stuff that goes along with being a dog into the outfield and stuff. So he 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 would unfortunately. Uh, get some of the whiff of that, and I, I'm I don't know how severe his allergy is to dogs, but I know some people that can't be around them. Period, and they'll they'll just start sneezing and we- wheezing like just so quickly and so fast. So hopefully that that didn't affect him that much yesterday. Well, they weren't the bats weren't allergic because they put up 19 runs on 19 hits <laughs> and just continue an onslaught during this six-game winning streak where they're, they're putting up pretty crazy numbers. That's something we'll get into during the second segment here on Halftime. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk around around not around all the Arkansas programs right now of, of staying close to your former players who are either currently professionals in that sport or were professionals in that sport or just the sort of name that has recognition across the state and to a lot of the athletes that are coming in here to play for Chad Morris and play for Eric Musselman. And it's something that Dave Van Horn has done very well and continues to do so. Uh, and it's the connection of past success and the names that go along with it to today's players and really the future. Um, if you're talking about passing along traditions when it when it comes to anything involving an athletic endeavor, so with with Razorback sports, you know, like your father passed the love of of Arkansas. Well, no, your father's in Baylor. Baylor grad. He, he, he can care. He can care less about the Razorback. I shouldn't generalize this <laughs> to just you, but most of our listeners, I think. Uh, you know, kind of had the the love of the Razorbacks or the love of whatever sport it is that you follow. For me, it was my father passing along the love of baseball to me. Um, you know, but that that's in a fan sense. You know, the traditions you grow up around. When you're part of a program, actually an athlete playing inside that program, and and maybe you grew up inside the state of Arkansas, always knowing you're going to play for the Razorbacks, you know, like a Darren McFadden or a Casey Martin, some of these great athletes who just knew that there wasn't anywhere else they were going to go. They feel already a part of it. But then you can also talk about the thought of bringing in athletes from outside the state and helping them connect to your program through the athletes that won a lot while they were here, that had iconic moments that are recognized by the fan base throughout the years and then went on to have success at the professional levels. And uh, you know, Mike Anderson was really good at that uh, because of his long-term, uh, his long time at Arkansas. I was kind of was able to connect with those players because he was a part of those wins. Um, Brett Bielema, maybe a little bit of a different thing. Same with, same with Bobby Petrino. Uh, Chad Morris has been trying to reach through and has connected with a lot of the former players uh, that are now coming back to watch practice and and hopefully be part of the program. Eric Musselman's doing the same thing. You know, it's one thing that he touched on 
is the is he even talked about the the brand name that Arkansas still has to him in basketball and I don't think he was you know just kissing the ring at that point because Eric Musselman is is a basketball guy through and through I think he he understands the impact that Arkansas had on the national basketball landscape for a good 20 years there and so you're looking to connect part of that history and even some of the recent history with some of the good players that have come through to the program and you've already seen this pay off a little bit and I think this is one reason why you know, I could make a prediction I think Scotty Thurman's going to end up on Eric Musselman's staff you can point to the new transfer uh, coming from UNC Wilmington uh, Juntel Silla who said that he didn't really know anything about Scotty Thurman when he first met him, but he talks to his coaches, and they, they tell us, hey, Scotty's a legend. He, he, hit, he hit the shot. He had a great collegiate career, went on to attempt to play in the pros, and then and he says he does his own research, and it feels like he, he already under, appreciates the relationship that he has, not just with an assistant coach on, on the staff that he's going to play at, but somebody that, that had success there and wants him to have that same sort of success. You can already see that paying off. And this is something that Eric Musselman is not just going to rely on Scotty for, you know, that sort of uh, impact with players uh, that you're trying to get on campus. But now you're bringing back a lot of the legends that have come through Arkansas really in the last 15 years, last 20 years, even 30 years. And hopefully that'll pay off, too. So the transitions between Chad Morris taking over Brett Bielema and Eric Musselman taking over Mike Anderson are different. Eric Musselman's inheriting a better program Chad Morris, not so much. There was a lot of depth that was lacking. And I think the relationship part of that is important as well. When Bielma left, there were not a lot of Arkansas fans that were sad to see him go. Now, there were some, but there weren't a lot. With Mike Anderson, there were a lot more sad Arkansas fans that wish he would, that some wish he would have stayed. And Mike was a lot more liked from the coaches, from media, from former players, the relation it seemed like he was a lot more liked than Brett Bielema was, especially just the overall outlook from the Arkansas fan base. And so with that being said, Eric Musselman has to kind of come in and he doesn't want to just completely throw out everything Mike did because Mike's like, he, he kind of has to tread lightly, Phil, because you want to have, Mike had, as you mentioned, a lot of good relationships with former players, former basketball legends that played at Arkansas. And so Eric Musselman, on the front side of him starting at the U of A, wants to have those solid foundations with those same guys because a lot of those guys liked Mike, period. And so he wants to show, hey, you're welcome here. I want you to be a part of this program just as you were under Mike Anderson. With Brett Bielma, it it seems like Chad Morris is making more of an emphasis to have the former players because Mike did a good job of that. But maybe we're seeing more of it because of Chad Morris's and Eric Musselman's prowess on social media. Because the once it hits social media, it's out there, and tons of people know about it. And I think that's one of the other factors that plays into it as well, just how they're pumping it out there and getting the info out there to Arkansas fans. You know, and the, and, and the, the program I'm closest to with baseball is great at doing this. Um, I mean, you get a lot of players that, that still come back to Fayetteville, to use the Walker facility uh, to work out, and and why wouldn't you try to capitalize upon this? Um, you know, I mean, the new building that's that's going to break ground. I think once this season is complete, uh, the over in right field is going to include 
uh, amongst a lot of other things like new coaches' offices and new loge boxes and a new seating area and a new locker room for the team. There's going to also be a locker room for former players to use as their own. They won't. They won't have to you know, necessarily bring a, a gym bag filled with their stuff for the day. They can leave it there. It's it's like they get they own a piece of the program that they left in such great shape that you can have a ballpark like Baum and you can have a $25 million facility being built, added onto it to turn this even a better place. Um, you know, and I, I, I don't think that every other program needs to have a separate locker room for the former players to come around, but... I think that that says a lot about the relationship that you're building uh, from the past to the future, and and this is how traditions are passed along. Uh, if you want your if you want your current players to now look, they're going to come here wanting to win no matter what. You come here to Arkansas, you go to any athletic program, you're going there to play and to win. But when you feel like you're a part of something that's deeper than just yourself and even deeper than just the team that you're on at that moment, that year's team. You feel like you're part of a tradition that stretches farther back and is bigger than you, and, and you, take, you take pride in something like this. And I, don't, don't, don't put it in the, in the, in the idea of too much, being too cheesy with the thought that when you take a huge amount of pride in the company that you work or – the, the neighborhood that you live or the community that you're a part of or the athletic program that you're a part of too, there's just the, the you, I feel like you're, you're willing to go a little bit farther, just a little bit farther, try a little bit more, well, practice a little bit harder, mm-hmm. be a better teammate. And, and hey, maybe, maybe that gets you, you know, a few extra yards when you need it or, you know, a few extra runs over the course of a season. I don't know. It just seems to, if, if, if college sports are all about traditions, and I feel when I hear it's about traditions, I'm hearing it from the fan perspective of the traditions of going to games and what it was like when you were younger and growing up as a fan in that fan base. The traditions are also for players, and the traditions are about winning while you're here, and and if you don't move on to the to the professional rankings or the professional levels, then you've left the program in a better state and and just try to still be a part of that program. I think there's so many Arkansas athletes that want to still be a part of it when they're gone. They're never going to lose that pride. You got to capitalize on it. For the college basketball fans out there, you know about the Duke Brotherhood, and while it may be corny, it's a real thing. I mentioned yesterday how they've gotten the top recruiting class the past three years and five out of the past six. And the quote-unquote Duke Brotherhood plays into that, whether it's Jay Williams, Grant Hill. There's so many legends that have played for that program, and they want that program to, to continue to succeed. So Eric Musselman hosted Kareem Reed, I believe, yesterday. He's had in Ron Brewer Sr., Sidney Moncrief. And if I'm them, and we ha- we've had a chance to catch up with Sidney Moncrief a couple weeks back, and this doesn't really seem like his personality. I don't know about Brewer and Reed. I'm actually ticked off of where the basketball program is right now. And maybe that's wrong of me to think that. But if you think the success that they had as a basketball team. Now, I know Reed was on the later team, that the team that went to the SEC championship and won as good as the Moncrief and Brewer days, the triplets. But I am genuinely angry right now. Maybe I don't show that, but I want the program to be back to where it was under Eddie Sutton and, and more specifically Nolan Richardson. 
And that's why they're trying to come back. And even with a new coach who it seems like they like Mike Anderson, it's a new guy. It's a new regime. Let's see if we can get this thing going as quickly as possible. Because the expectation for Eric Musselman, Phil, is probably to make the NCAA tournament year two. Year one is a long shot, I think, at this point. It's it's not doable, I don't think. But year two, it, the expectations are kind of, uh, you probably need to be in the tournament because Mike, it, it's not depleted like Mike left. But I just think that's the push right now from not only Arkansas basketball, former basketball players, but the football players. They want this thing to get back to where they're competitive in the SEC in both football and basketball, and hopefully, eventually, to the same amount where the baseball team competes year after year. You know, and, and, and I'm finding the hog pod, Bo, Bo Manningly's new endeavor, as, as, as really a great show and a good resource for anybody interested in Arkansas athletics. He had a, a great episode last week with that was focused on Eric Musselman and they brought on uh, he brought on Jimmy Dykes and brought on Clay Henry and the two of them making very good points about when Arkansas basketball was at its peak that that Arkansas was one of the few schools in their conference either in the Southwest Conference or in the SEC that that treated basketball as something that was an important endeavor it was them in Kentucky and that was it you right, can... and in the Southwest Conference it was it was Arkansas Texas Tech, and that's about it. And that's about it. And you have we've had Brando say that. we've had Brando say that we've had Bill Keen say that. Any old broadcaster, any old person that covers college basketball would tell you it was Arkansas and Kentucky. It's and, different now. So much different yeah. now. Look at this league. Everybody's taking basketball seriously. Everybody is taking basketball seriously. It's become it's become the sport now that everybody is able to compete in. When you're talking about football and you everybody's got to kneel before Alabama, we got into this yesterday. Kentucky is the class of the SEC, but their perch on the top of the pyramid of the SEC is pernicious at best because now you've got a lot of other schools that are putting the resources, great coaches, um, and, and are treating basketball as – an important endeavor. Arkansas is one of those schools, but it, that, that's why the playing field is so much more different than it was when we're referring to Arkansas as one of the premier programs in the country because back then they were one of the programs that was treating it as something important. They continue to do so, but LSU feels the same way. Auburn feels the same way. Tennessee does as well. South Carolina does. Georgia's trying to do it. So it's a much different playing field, and that's where I'd, I'd like to believe that Eric Musselman can get the program back to glory days, or just at least being one of the top programs in the SEC. You got other teams that are trying to do the exact same thing. When maybe back in the '90s, that wasn't the case. So in the three major sports, Arkansas is clearly the best in baseball. At one point in time, this was considered a basketball school, along with being a football school because you are in the SEC. And with Chad Morris coming in. It's become apparent to most people around him that he wants to incorporate former players similar to Eric Musselman. And we had a conversation with former Remington Award winner Jonathan Weeks on the Morning Rush back in the fall of 2018. And he had this to say about how Chad Morris has really done a good job of making players, former players, feel welcome. It really rang with me when Coach Morris said, guys, this is your home. We want you all back here. Y'all are welcome anytime. And if you can't make it on a scheduled Letterman reunion, he's like, come the Saturday before, come the week. Anytime you want to come, you're welcome. And uh, I think it was that way with the previous staff with, with Bielema, but maybe it wasn't organized. And it's kind of hard once you've been disconnected for so long for, for them just to say, hey, come back and not organize anything. Guys aren't just going to, you know, randomly show up. 
I think with his staff, new AD, new new head coach, it's hopefully going in the right direction. Phil, Arkansas fans love reminiscing in the glory days. They love bringing back former players. That is one of the true aspects of this program. And so when you have coaches like Dave Van Horn, like Eric Musselman, and Chad Morris, who are in the same line of thinking of Hunter Juracek, saying, hmm, one Razorback. It's not just one Razorback while you're in school. It's all time. It's till the end of time. It's even after you pass away. That's part of it. That is essential to getting the football program and the basketball program back to its competitive nature. Now, I don't know if they'll ever amount to the same success that baseball's had under Dave Van Horn, but if you want it, and there's a lot of different ways you got to go, recruiting, coaching, but this is also it's an important cog and an important piece to the puzzle. you got to have former players on board with your coaches and their identity and their philosophy because if you don't, if, if the fans don't see the same intensity and the same excitedness from former players, then it's hard for them to buy in, Phil. They're just not going to get excited about the programs if they don't see former players excited about it as well. It's kind of funny. We could look at it in a radio sense, too. We've, we've already reached back to the former days of ESPN Arkansas with another one of the hosts taking over the afternoon slot. <laughs> so it works in radio, too. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP and at Ty Sports Radio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed. Adams down the wow. sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. Second hour of a halftime, which means on a Wednesday we are getting over the hump. We are just literally about a minute or so over the hump onto the back slope of your weekend and uh, getting set for first pitch as well at Baumwalker Stadium in, what, about a couple hours? So uh, I'm getting excited for Arkansas to try to make it seven straight wins. Also excited for the usual Wednesday second hour segment. It's time for Ty and I to try to change each other's mind. I changed my mind. Hi, Joey. Hey, how you doing? He won't sell anybody out to buy his future. How can you be so obtuse? What did you call me? Obtuse? Is it deliberate? Son, you're forgetting yourself. Change my mind. Before I even get into it here, Ty, have we even changed each other's mind much, like in the last month or so? I feel like it's been... It, it, I don't, one-sided isn't the right terminology, and it's not the, that we're not coming with good arguments. It's just uh, I, I think we've kind of struggled to change each other's mind. On, we're both on just some of very stubborn, Phil. That's what yes. it comes down to is our stubbornness that impacts the overall aspect of our decision-making and what we choose to side with and, and how we go about each other's arguments. So it comes down to that and that alone. Or we just come with really good arguments. You know, the, be- the the kind that with irrefutable evidence uh, that cannot overturn the call. Uh, you know what I mean? There's nothing that the other person can say to come against these cold, hard facts to change anybody's mind. I think it's hard because we don't want to pick something that's so obvious. Like when I joked with you last week that Zion Williamson was going to be the consensus number one pick in the draft. Like, that's just not fun. <laughs> yeah, but, I was. I really, there's nothing I could have, unless, unless you know, that some unspoken tragedy happens yeah. to a young man, which hopefully doesn't happen. And so it's hard to pick out something to challenge not only ourselves, but our co-host. And we tend to pick out something that we're passionate about and that we strongly agree in, and we end up skewing that towards the other person, which typically is the other way. Because as we mentioned many times on this program, you and I have a lot of different opinions when it comes to not only sports, politics, religion. We're all over the place. Now, we get along great, but 
again, it goes back to us being stubborn. We believe what we believe, and it's hard to change each other's mind. And I think your age factors into it as well, Phil. Yeah, the older you get, the more stubborn you get. So be careful of that. Just beware. You're, you're, you're still at a position of your life where you can be open to change. I like to think that I'm still open to change and to have my attitudes changed about some things. But there is, I've been told that I'm obstinate. And obstinate is, is stubbornness for the sake of, stu- of stubbornness. So I, I, think, I think that has something to do with a little bit of crotchetiness. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold it off, but it's there. It's there, and it's only going to get worse as I get older. Well, I told you what my dad told me when I was younger, that I should be a lawyer, go to law school, because I love to argue so much, and I just found the dumber profession, which is sports radio. I still yeah, get to the argue. One you, the one you're not going to make any money at, Exactly. Right? I still get to argue. I'm just not as qualified, and I'm not going to be as monetarily and fiscally successful as the guy in law school that's going to graduate from Harvard Law or wherever these smart kids go to. So. Yeah, well, you don't have to wear a suit every day. That's you know? a good thing. You can, to- wear, you can wear a chicken costume, or you can wear a, uh, you can wear a Christmas sweater with a deer jumping right through it, like, uh, like the alien jumping out of the guy's chest. Speaking of costumes, when I mentioned the bunny, the Orlando bunny that was on a tear yesterday, he's actually wanted in New Jersey. That was updated. Are we so. sure this is the same Easter Bunny? Same old guys. Not going to get into that, but just wanted to toss that in there. Okay. Well, here's the first thing that you can try to change my mind about. I got into it a little bit with Bubba last night on the baseball broadcast, and this is sort of a topic that has been going on baseball social media, I feel like, for the last couple of months. But it's something that, that I've argued about before, and, and I'd like to see what your opinion on this would be, too. So when we refer to the side offensively, that's the top or the bottom bottom of a batting order. So the side is when one team is at bat, and when the side is finished, then you've retired the side. No matter what happens in 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 that inning, you know, a team could score. Let you look at yesterday's Razorback Northwestern State game. They scored three runs in the second inning on eight batters. So the side was eight batters. They put up three runs. And there's also the idea of striking out the side. So the debate that's raging right now, Ty, is that is you, what, what, how do you refer to striking out the side? Is it striking out the only three batters of the inning with no hits and no runs? Or is it striking out three batters no matter what happens in the inning because you've then struck out the side, the three outs? So, and I've, I've always gone into the debate saying that you strike out the side, meaning strike out three hitters. Or there could be a couple, of in, a couple of instances where you actually strike out four batters in one inning. And I was present for a minor league game in 1995 where a, a pitcher struck out five hitters in an inning, which up until that point had only happened three times in the history of professional baseball. So we got a photo of the five hitters and the pitcher and sent it to Cooperstown. Now, this can be done, Ty. You know, I, know that, I see the look in your face. A drop third strike means that the catcher still has to throw to first base to complete the strikeout. Then it becomes a force play at first base. Ah. So if there are two drop third strikes, uh, you know, you can get four strikeouts in an inning if there's one drop third strike and you don't end up with a strikeout so that the pitcher can strike out a fourth batter. That happened in the same inning twice. And we saw five strikeouts in an inning. Anyway, my whole idea is you strike out three batters in an inning, you've struck out the side, no matter what happens. Bubba argued with me that what about you score three runs in an inning or four runs in an inning and you still strike out three batters. Is that striking out the side? And I said yes, because the side is just the... The, the the side is the one team's at bat, no matter what happens in it. So if you strike out three batters, to me, you've struck out the side, and that also goes along with another uh, another baseball 
conversation argument about batting around. Where you bat around, there's nine batters in an inning. And so if you send all nine batters to the plate, then you've batted around. Some people think you have to send a tenth batter to the plate before you've batted around. And for me, I'm saying just nine. We don't... it's nine batters to bat around because then everybody's had one full time of the plate. So my arguments are striking out the side is striking out three batters no matter what happens in the inning. And that batting around is sending a ninth batter to the plate. And that batter completes the at-bat with at least putting the ball in play or striking out. And it doesn't take ten batters to bat around. Change my mind. So when you initially said the five strikeout thing, I was thinking some, uh, something similar to a ref in football forgetting the down it was and giving a player giving a team an extra uh, batter or two because he forgot the out count that's why but then you explain that and you think about the rules that have been in place so long we were talking about the older you get the more entrenched you are with your arguments and your beliefs that kind of applies to sports it's really hard to change something that's been set in stone for so long I had a professor in college professor Ricky Thine that hated the Coors like cold hard facts that Sports Center did because they weren't facts; they were opinions. They were opinions, but they, yes. they've been doing this for so long that you just go with the flow and you say the cools, coolers like cold hard facts. Whether it was Tim Legler, Stephen A. Smith, Merrill Hodge, whoever was presented up there and whoever got in the conversation, you just accepted it. With baseball, again, I'm not going to bring a lot of knowledge into this conversation concerning this board. I always thought striking out the side meant one, two, three batters in terms of. Which it didn't matter the order, whether it's the sixth, seventh, and eighth guy, but if you brought them up, if they all went to the play and they all struck out, that's what I assumed striking out the side was. And then the other argument that you had was with the the going around around the world, basically. Yeah, batting around the order. I would think that you'd have to go through it and then get back to the the first hitter or whoever the guy you start the guy you started with. Now, again, I, I'm not going to change your mind because I don't have a lot of knowledge on the situation or the sport itself but that's how I think of it because when you play around the world you know in basketball you start in one corner uh, and then you go all the way to the other corner and then you start back and you have to end it in that same corner that's where my philosophy comes from in deciding that's how you have to go around the side that's what I'm thinking about that See, it's, just kind of, it's like an argument of almost like, who cares about this? We, we all have these hard feelings about something that really doesn't matter when it comes right down to it. It's like ketchup on a hot dog, or is a hot dog a sandwich? All these sort of, you know, mixing Yes and it. no. I'm we, just going to answer that for you. Yes and no. Well, see, and it doesn't matter to me. Is a hot dog a sandwich to you? No. Yes. Is it to me? No. Yes. Who cares? It's all things that we just feel like we need to argue about, which I guess is what this segment is about. You didn't change my mind. What do you got? All right. So my buddy Evan has a four-day work week. It's 40 hours, like most working Americans, but he works 9 to 7, Monday through Thursday. I can't remember. I think it's ArcFest. I always get ArcFest and ABF mixed up. But he gets Monday through Thursday, and he gets Friday off. And I think back to my college days where a couple semesters I didn't have Friday class, and it was absolutely glorious because you have a three-day weekend every single weekend. Now, I know it's really concentrated heavy in terms of work. There's first four days, and when I would have work coupled with classes during college, my first four days were pretty packed. But when you have a three-day weekend every single weekend, Phil, it's incredible. You have the chance to take a lot of short trips, spend a lot more time on what you want to do. 
if I had a choice, and I was talking to John about this the other day, I would love to do a four-way day a week radio show like with the schedule. Now that's <laughs> now that's yeah. Again, that's have that's you said joke. this to Tommy? No, because it's not. Ever I just would happen. really love to see his reaction. I want to be in the room when you say this to him. Oh, that conversation would be about. It would be very short-lived. It would. It would not. <laughs> go any further. You know how sometimes bosses think about something their employees say? That wouldn't last because Friday is a, m- a major impactful day for sports in our culture with so many of our games occurring on the weekend. But I just think that schedule is incredible. Phil, change my mind. Having a three-day weekend every single weekend, even having the front load of your work schedule Monday through Thursday, it's great. Change my mind. Well, to keep in mind here, you're talking to somebody that doesn't have a weekend, and I can I continue to bring this up. You know, throughout really the last couple of months, I don't know what the heck a weekend is. I'm working every single day, and I'm, but hey, what, just like they'll tell you, when you love what you do, you never really work a single day. So exactly. I guess it's every day is just a weekend for me, since I'm either talking sports with you, or I'm calling a baseball game with Bubba, or I've got uh, or I've got basketball games. Um, so yeah, I guess ask me in the summertime when there actually is a five-day work week for me uh, that will include a real day on Saturday and a real day on Sunday without any games to call. Uh, I wonder if... Now, he's still work putting in the, the same amount of work. Still putting in 40 hours. He's still just front-loaded on his schedule, Phil. And, and theoretically, that means that you shouldn't worry about burnout because you're going to get more time that's that to actually recover and from these four hectic days. And part of the stipulation is he can't take a light. Now, he can eat lunch there while he's working, but he can't take an hour lunch. That kind of plays oh. into the work. And I still, I still don't have a problem with it. Phil, I am here from about 5.15-ish to a little after 3 every day, and most days I eat lunch while I'm working on something. So that's, from that's, my perspective, I would not have a problem of working that schedule. The lunch break idea, to me, does seem like a thing of the past because I think there's a lot of people listening right now that might actually be eating lunch, you know, either at their desk or at work, and it's just become part of their day, uh, you know. I don't know what it's like to take a lunch because we're doing, we're, doing, we're doing a show during lunch hour. Uh, I think the most we go to like whole hog or Ferris wheelers and we get to eat during the show. That's the best part. Yeah, but we can only stuff our mouths for about quick three minute bites. Yep. Uh, you know, because you just can't eat a full meal in that time. I think the most important thing about a work week is to find some sort of consistency, and that's why my brain is really a jumble these days because you got different start times for games. We always have our show at the same time, but I'm in three or four different cities, and so there's no re- the consistency for me is a lack of consistency in life, and I've sort of become accustomed to that. So when life does slow down and my feet are in the same place for a five-day stretch, I feel weird. So I think that there's something to be said, but no matter how you do it, whether it's a four-day work week, whether it's a five-day work week, or you've know, you got to find some way to, 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 to mix in consistency to it. So I'd say whatever really works for you is going to be the best in this instance. Now, the other thing, too, is in this age, you know, I, I'm a contractor. I think a lot of people are working in the gig economy in which you kind of set your hours for yourself based upon, you know, when you're most productive. It's different for me because I'm, I'm beholden to the schedules that I travel with and, and a 12 o'clock radio show. But a lot of people that are working in the gig economy, gig economy have the ability to, to set their own hours. And I think for them, they, it's up to them whether they want a five-day work week or a four-day work week. And they don't have anybody necessarily telling them that this is how you're going to get it done. What you've got to be able to do is find consistency in life. 
Um, that's good for your brain. It's good for the body. It's good for any relationships that you mix in. So I won't change your mind, but I will say it's a personal thing, you know, and, and you could probably get used to a four day work week just as much as you do a five day work week. It's just a matter of, you know, where you're working right now. And right now you're, you're working for somebody that ain't going to let you do a four hour, a four, a four day a week radio show. And from a business it's that would be an absolute disaster. So I completely yeah. understand it. I'm just kind of envious of my friend that he has a three day weekend every single weekend. I do hear that. I don't know what it's like at ESP in Arkansas, but there are some radio sales groups, you know, people that are in just sales for radio that treat Friday almost like a day off because you're not hitting, you're not making many, many sales calls Friday afternoon, but you you can end up eating lunch with your clients, and and then it just becomes hanging out with friends, and and maybe kicking back with a couple of cold ones because you know you're not going back to the office. So hey, then then you're lucky to find a job in which you can actually do something like that. Uh, all right, my second one here, and I've had to, I've thought about this a little bit, and I'm trying not to get too overly excited about what I'm watching on the baseball field with with Arkansas right now because this is the best that they're playing all season. How long can you keep it up? Six consecutive wins and they're crushing the ball and I'm seeing signs right now, Ty, that, that the 2018 Arkansas lineup, as good as it was, actually isn't as good as the 2019 Arkansas Razorback lineup. The I, I get. I could make just a statement and say the 2019 Arkansas offense baseball is better than the 2018 baseball offense, but you still have another month of the season to go. Maybe, hopefully, another two months so things can change and you'll be facing better pitchers. Uh, you know, obviously, when you get into June, uh, you're going to be facing some of the best pitching in the nation. And if you get to Omaha, you are facing the best pitching in the nation. But right now, I'm seeing a lineup that's more dynamic than last year's lineup. Ty, I think the 2019 Arkansas baseball lineup is better than the 2018 lineup. Changed my mind. So if you want to structure that in terms of hits to home runs, you had more power in last year's lineup. It's pretty hard to argue that. But in terms of just overall hitting, it's hard to argue the other way. You lost a lot of talent of last year's team, not only in the pitching staff with Ryan Dolowski and Blay Knight, but a lot of your hitters too. I mean, it's one of those things where... He's Dave Van Hort is so good at adjusting the way he can win games and, and finding ways to win. And this this team is is just getting hits. And they're getting home runs, too, just not as many as last year. So, And I'm not going to argue with the baseball topic. We're going to end this right there. I'm not going to change your mind on this, Phil. Well, I'm, I'm just, just not. Look, the, last year they hit a, a school record 98 homers. You're not going to reach that, but they're hitting better, 304 to 296. This year's team has a higher on-base percentage, 406 to 391. Uh, they're scoring more runs per game, believe it or not, this year so far, averaging 7.8 runs a game. Last year they scored seven. Now the one equalizer here is that you're, you're facing a great pitching staff this weekend in Tennessee. Uh, Kentucky doesn't have a great pitching staff. That's the weekend after. LSU and A&M after that, two good pitching staffs. Whatever happens in Hoover, whatever happens in June, there are so many more games on the on the schedule still that it's I, – I, you can't make the definitive statement, but there are signs that this year's lineup is better. All right, you and John were talking about before the show started about a movie that's premiering this weekend, The Avengers – in game, it's coming out. It's the conclusion of this Marvel series after you had a great a great showing with Infinity War that many people enjoyed. Phil, the ratings on this movie have been incredible. It started out with a ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Here's some reviews: All expectations were met. The movie is one of the best I've ever seen. 
The film was everything I hoped for and more. I'm not going to see it till probably on Monday. I know John's going to see it at IMAX this weekend in Fayetteville. But Phil, this movie's going to live up into hype. It's going to live up to it. And I don't say that about many movies that I haven't seen. I just think it's going to, based on everything I've heard, based on people who don't necessarily aren't the biggest comic book or superhero fans. I just think it's going to live up to the hype. Change my mind. Well, the one thing that I think is difficult to live up to when it, when it comes to this sort of hype is the length of the movie. Three hours, yeah. I mean, you've got to grab people's attention quickly and hold on to it for a very long time and still be able to hopefully get through, you know, bathroom breaks. This would be one movie I think it's almost, you know, it'd be time to bring back movie intermissions, which I don't think have been a thing for a long, long time. But, I mean, what movies do live up to the hype that this movie has been building up to, not just for the last couple of weeks or the last few months uh this year this movie's been in the making now for for over a decade with this this incredible uh bounce back of comic book hero movies in the last 10 15 years this is the this is what it's all built up and the to. culmination of everything yeah, the, I mean, this, it, yeah this is everything that to me like started back with with the iron man movies because uh, they've had a lot how many Marvel movies, it's 10 plus. I mean, you think about the Mar- or the Iron Man oh, series, the Ant-Man series. Much more than 10. To yeah. me, it feels like there's been 25 or 30 of them. That's probably a better ballpark. Boy, that's a lot of hype to live up to, and yeah. I just wonder if it could really live up to it. I guess we'll find out. All right, my third is, you play Words with Friends, Ty? Man, I have not played that game in quite some time, but I've, right. I do remember how fun it used to be, especially I, when you get in the competitive nature that you get with your friends. Well, I dropped I dropped it off my phone about five, six years ago because it just had too many games going at once. Yeah. And you end up finding yourself. It's just like looking on Twitter. You can just you can get lost in all the possibilities and the comments and and everything else that go along with, with having something like that at your, at your fingertips. So I dropped it. I, I used to play Words with Friends when I was traveling on buses with the travelers uh but i dropped it and then and then was uh was was um sort of encouraged by the lovely lady to to uh, download words with friends again so we could have something to do for the two of us while i'm traveling and we're and we're not around each other so um i it's become clear to me ty uh that i'm dating someone who is much smarter than i am um she is 12 and 1 against me i we've played 13 games and i am getting just my butt beat. And I'll say this, most of these are close matches, but you know what I say about people or teams that lose consistently in close games or close matches. That just means you're a bad team. So I'm obviously... Now look, I've, I've, I've now played a couple other games against two other people, and I've won every game against them. But I can't beat her. So I'm dating somebody who's smarter than me. You've met her a couple of times. Can you change my mind? First of all, have you scoured her phone to see if she has the app that gives her the highest percentage when it comes to points awards for friends? Because she very could well... Be ha- using the app to just get the most points and just mm. act like she's smarter than you. Do you know about that app? I, well, I kind of figured there was something like that out there, but I have not scoured her phone for that or anything else yet. Okay, so before you go on making accusations to get yourself that you're not smarter than your significant other at this moment in time, I would at least ask her, hey, lovely lady, do you happen to have an app that gets you the highest score from the the letters you have listed on your phone? And Look her dead in the eye and see what her reaction is. And if she says no and you believe her and she's truthful, then yes, she's smarter than you. But I can't change your mind because I don't know the reaction to that. Let me know the reaction to that, Phil, and then I'll make a just assumption. 
babe, I just want to let you, I just want to let you know you're so pretty and you're so smart. Would you mind giving me your phone for a quick minute? Appreciate you very much. <laughs> See how that goes over. I, I wouldn't suggest it. All right, Ken's getting a Bud Light Browns winter fridge. I am so excited. It's heading to Ken. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, last season Bud Light did a promotion that had locked fridges across certain Cleveland bars that once the Browns won a game, they would open them and the people and the patrons in the bar would get free Bud Light. And it was incredible because they beat John Neighbors Jets September 20th 21 to 17. They didn't get to open it when they tied Pittsburgh. Yep. It's not it was not for a tie. No, not for a tie, for a win, baby. Al Davis just win, baby. And they won. They got to open them. One of them is heading to Canton and it's going to be placed in the Pro Football Today Gallery. I'm so excited about this. This is the greatest achievement Canton has ever got in its walls. <laughs> Changed my mind. Oh, you're right about that, man. There, there, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things at Canton that definitely fall underneath the Bud Light, uh, <laughs> the Bud Light fridge. You know, every every Super Bowl trophy that's ever been raised, every bust that's in Canton, uh, the entire history of the NFL. Uh, it is. It's, it's it all beneath. It, it all, all beneath. just it all just kneels before Zod, and Zod is the Bud Light Browns refrigerator. I think it helps that you know that Canton is the closest. Is uh, that Cleveland is the closest NFL city to Canton? I think it's a little bit closer than Pittsburgh is, uh, so it doesn't take much to haul that thing uh, down the road or just catapult it from from Cleveland Brown Stadium. Yeah, Arkansas needs to do some type of marketing ploy where they give away free alcohol for certain wins or something. Let's say uh, Arkansas get again. We don't know how long that'll be, but let's say Arkansas gets to ten wins on a season, and you just have across Dixon Street all these different coolers full of Bud Light or whatever it is. They just need to do something that gives away free alcohol because giving away alcohol, nothing bad ever happens after you do that, Phil. For 10 wins in a season, this is going to be some pent-up aggression that takes a couple years to get rid of. Like the Halftime Pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.